Hi church, it's just, again, I think we all get up here and say the same thing. We can't wait till we get to actually see you, but um, yeah, I hope, hope you're enjoying the pyjama coffee on your couch experience because it actually won't last forever. So um, yeah, just enjoy it while you can. I am going to speak about love. I'm going to speak about the love of God today. So um, it, it's the third week in a row we've had Lani, who just did such an incredible job, and Liam last week, um, bringing such different angles to the love of God. And um, my gut feeling is there's just, I don't think we're ever going to get all the angles to the love of God. So this is, um, yeah, I'm just going to talk about a characteristic of his love, which I'm talking about his redeeming love today. So this is really... I feel like I'm on the tip of the iceberg with this topic um, and I feel like it's just something I want to learn my whole life. So if you have your Bible, you can have it ready to go, but I've got a lot of Bible I'm just going to read to you. So if you want to just chill out, you totally can today. So um, just with the love of God, I just want to first just start off just saying just there's an invitation here um, we all hear about the love of God just so much and you can if you want kind of switch off a bit but I just want to invite you to engage as I talk about God's love because I really believe that there's always um, an invitation to experience more, more of him, more of his love. So if I can just invite you to do that now, I know it's weird that you're in your lounge room and you're not kind of here and engaged and connected but luckily the Holy Spirit is outside of time he's outside of space so even now just listening to my words that you can experience the Holy Spirit and experience the love of God so I want to just like if you can just like open up your heart to him and get ready because I feel like he has something for you okay if you can do that um, love this whole thing is about love um, Liam mentioned last week we know we're nothing without love. Um, our gifts, our talents, bringing the kingdom, even winning the lost, they just are going to add up to nothing without love. So this is a big deal. Jesus even um, warns us. He says there's going to be some that come and say, hey, I did this and this and that in your name. And he'll say, I didn't know you. And um, it's just all these clues to us that Christianity, Christianity isn't a checklist of um, good things to do or good ways to live or things to believe. It's Christianity we know is a coming home to a good father. Um, Christianity is knowing the source of all love. And God is that source. Jesus is that source. The Holy Spirit is the source. So he's the source of love and every human being craves it. We know that to love, that we first need to experience love. So John tells us we love because he first loved us. So I just want to say this is not about getting a handle on a topic. This is about getting lost in and consumed by and experiencing God's love. You're never going to get a handle on this as a topic. Love is not a topic. Love is a person. Isn't that good? The person is Jesus. The Bible tells us God is love. So... As God's children, we're going to get to experience the love of God for our whole life on earth. He loves us completely, but we can have as little or as much of it as we want, which blows my mind. Um, we 
determine how much we experience of the love of God. So he's perfect in the way he loves us, but we, he doesn't like push his way in and force us ever. It's really, he's always inviting us. Do you want more of me? Do you want more of me? And I just think that we should choose the much. We should choose the yes and we should choose the more. So we can learn, know and experience the love of God for our whole lifetime on earth. And I just don't think we're ever going to experience the fullness of it because it's eternal in its nature. I was thinking it's like me trying to put the sky into, the, into a jar. It's too big. It can't be contained. It's like there's a song the Helsers have written. It says God's like an endless ocean, a bottomless sea, a sea with no shore. Okay, just to give you some um, analogies for his love. There's no edge horizon and there's no end to the love of God. I think we get given eternity with God because his love is so immense. I don't even think we're going to get to the end of it in in eternity. I know these are like mind blowing things, but just think, try and let your head go there for a minute. Um, His love is so full. It's it's the most life giving source in the universe. So God does not just heal, he is healing. God does not just redeem, he is redemption. God does not just give abundant life, he is abundant life in his very being. He's the source of all life, he's the source of all love. And that Greek word for salvation, sozo, it means healed, saved and delivered. So it's a multifaceted love, like a diamond that has many faces and they all reflect the light. This love has many layers. And so that word sozo hints that when we were saved, it was much more than just the transaction or the exchange, although it was. It was an exchange. It was darkness to light, curse to blessing, orphan to child. It's much more than just a change of status. This love goes to the core of our wounds and speaks truth to those places. God's love is redeeming in its nature. And so that word redemption, I'll just quickly, you'll be familiar with it. It's one of those Christian words. So it means to be saved from sin, error or evil. But that word also has a legal implication. So it means the action of regaining or possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. I want to talk about the redeeming love of God with a focus on the way that God goes to war for us. And there's, he, he's like he's all about the payback in a way. We know from John 10.10, 10, Jesus came to give us abundant life. And we also know that the enemy steals, kills and destroys. I just want to tell you about something that I love to notice, which is God's attention to detail within redemption. I love how beautifully he heals people through that. So I'm going to tell you some stories from the Bible. I want you to listen to these stories of redemption with an ear to hear particular attention to detail within healing and redeeming. I think it's really important for us to notice it helps us to understand God's kind fatherhood over us and it helps us to recognise the redemptive loving ways of God in our own lives. So you can hear um, the Bible talks about God's ways, the ways of God. This is one of the ways of God. So if we can notice these things, it's just so important. Um, For me, this is a lens that I've had for a long time because it really delights me. It's one of my favourite things. So I actively look for the personal and intricate ways of God in this area of redeeming love. 
So that it's the same theme, um, another of my favourite themes, as God calling us by name. So if you think of Jesus as the shepherd and we're his sheep, and um, sometimes I think we think of him as standing there as a shepherd saying, hey, sheep, come this way, sheep, over here. But he doesn't do that. So the Bible tells us that he calls us by name, like our funny different names, even like maybe it's a nickname. Um, sometimes I think we reduce God to like this blanket, one size fits all kind of love. Um, but he doesn't do that. Jesus calls us each by name, so unique, so individual. He doesn't call you by your suburb or your church group or your family group, but by your individual specific name. It's so personal, isn't it? I love how he's so personal, he's particular, he's all about the details. Jesus is a details guy, if you hadn't worked this out. He, he was that way when he called you by your name and he will love you that way for the whole of your life. So my favourite thing, like I mentioned, is looking for the super specific ways that God redeems people's lives. And I love to recognise his tender, intentional touch of love. That just thrills my heart when I see that. So what got me thinking about this again was I was reading the Psalms the other day and I read this in Psalm 91. You can go there or I'll just read it out. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he'll save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and um, under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So what I want you to notice here is how the enemy's influence is described and how the Lord's redemptive love is described. So the enemy here is called a fowler, which describes someone who hunted birds. Then the experience of the Lord's protection, did you get it? It's being covered with feathers and hidden under wings. So this description is super specific to the wound or the trauma or the strategy of the enemy, isn't it? So God's healing power and protection here could have been described in many other ways. But I love how it just goes to the heart of the matter in the specific um, description. And it's, to me, that sounds like redemption. Yeah, cool. So I believe that in the exact area of your wounding or your weakness or your lack is that same place that God will meet you with his redemptive love and redeem that place. God doesn't just throw healing at you so that you can get up and be useful to him and bring the kingdom. God is interested in the tiny detail of your life. I even think God loves to use these wounded, lacking places to show his power and might in your life. And those exact areas that were once a source of your worst pain will become the area of your life that has the most victory and authority on it. Don't you love that, how he does that? I love it. So remember that word redemption has an expression of justice in it. So we're going to take a little trip through the Bible and I'm going to show you examples of the healing, redemptive love of God. But to begin, we just really need to remember that God is a God of detail. So we know Jesus tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our head and he knows when a sparrow falls. This is a details guy again. Psalm 139 reminds us of the same. You can go to there or I'll just read it to you, a little bit of it. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. 
You perceive every moment of my heart and soul and you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You're so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. And so writes King David, who, although he's anointed by God and used by God, is wounded in the area of family. You can read this in the Bible. Particularly, he's disconnected to his brothers. So Jewish tradition wonders if, if David was an illegitimate child even. You can read about David's pain regarding his family and his brothers in Psalm 69 and in 1 Samuel 17. I love the way God sees his particular pain and he shows David his specific healing, redemptive love. So if you watch, read the story and you see it unfold, David gets given a band of mighty men who become like a loyal family to him. And also he has his famous friendship with Jonathan, with whom he has the most deep brotherly love. So the man without brothers becomes the man with many brothers. And the man rejected by family becomes the man who will have the Messiah in his family line. Like that is a redeemed, that's the redeem, redeeming love of God. Here's one of my favourites, again, still in the Old Testament, in Joshua. We read about Rahab. You'll all be familiar with the Battle of Jericho, Rahab and the spies. I'll just, I'm going to read a little bit about this. So Rahab is a pagan prostitute. That's what we're told. She takes in two Israelite spies to her house in Jericho. In her discussion with the spies, she ends up saying, she's not a believer, she says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on the earth below. So we don't know kind of where, how she's gotten to this realisation, but it really sounds like she's pretty open to their God being God. We don't know much about her life before, but we can guess that there's stigma and brokenness in Rahab's life. But we do see the redeeming love of God in this pagan prostitute's life. I want you to jump to Matthew. Okay, so first chapter of Matthew. Now, this is the genealogy of Jesus. And this is, you know, guys, it's actually worth reading genealogy sometimes. Um, but I'm just going to read a little bit to you. There's a lot of names. I might stumble over them, but just, just hang in there. Okay, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amnimidab, Amnimidab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David, and you can follow down to Jesus. Okay, so just... Uh, just let that sink in for a minute. So Rahab, who's described as a prostitute, even in Hebrews where she's listed as a famous godly woman, she's still described as a prostitute. No one's glossing over her past. So how incredible is her redemption? 
read the book of Ruth and you learn about Boaz, who is Rahab's son, right? So look for Boaz. When you read about him, you see his compassion, which in my mind he learned from his transformed mother. So Rahab not only marries, this is the redemptive love of God. She not only marries, leaving her old life behind. She marries a godly man, has a godly son. She's included in the genealogy of Jesus. Is that not incredible? So from the area of her worst pain and shame, from a pagan woman who sells her body and is an outcast to a godly woman who becomes a mother to Boaz. So Boaz is called the kinsman redeemer. Um, he's a symbol of the coming Messiah. And she's not an Israelite either, she's, but she gets included in the list of the like, Jewish heroes of the faith. Like that, to me, is incredible redemptive love. I love that story so much. Okay, New Testament, here we go. I'm going to go to Mark 8 and Luke 5. I'm going to quickly read to you. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he'd spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. I love this story for many reasons. Number one, if you've ever felt discouraged about healing and not seeing it straight up, Jesus, who is God, prayed twice. So I just think we should pray at least twice, if not 20 or 50 times um, for healing, right? Be encouraged. Okay, the other thing about spit. Okay, in the, old, <laughs> in the Old Testament and at the time of this healing and today, um, to be spat in the face was a horrible insult and a disgrace. And so this blind man who possibly uh, would have had to beg or fend for himself and was most likely a social outcast, he may have been spat on in his life. So I've heard Bible teachers just talk about this idea that that, um, you know, that horrible sound that people make when they're actually going to do a um, big spit, that that blind man would have heard that in his life because people would have spat on him. Except for this time when he hears that because it's Jesus, it's the source of his healing, which is incredible. So the use of spit by Jesus here is a theological statement. So spit was considered a contaminant, and, but because it's Jesus, it's a source of blessing. I think Jesus went to the source of his pain and shame and that man got healed physically that day, but also his inner emotional pain, like the thing that once shamed him is the thing that heals him. To see the specific detail, it's so beautiful. We see the same principle at work when, we, when Jesus touches the leper in Luke 5. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. We know that contact, um, this was an unclean contact for a Jewish person. And we also, people knew that that's how leprosy spread. So no one touched lepers. But this touch didn't pollute Jesus. This touch caused healing. So I want to point out the leper who was never touched was healed by touch. Yeah, so good. Just get these little specific details. Jesus 
healed people all these different ways. He could have spoken a word and not touched him, but he chose to touch this man. Jesus has this knack of knowing our deepest pain and going there. Jesus healed with words and spit in all sorts of ways, but this time this man who was never touched, he touched. It's so specific and so beautiful. It's so healing, this redemptive love. Let's jump to Paul, who in Acts 9, he's still called Saul. I'm going to read a little bit to you. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we see here Paul's life mission was to kill Christians. That's what he's all about. Paul experiences Jesus on the Damascus Road. You can read about it. And he turns into the man whose life mission is birthing Christians. Paul's life mission was to destroy the church and his life mission becomes one of establishing the church. I just love how God flips his life to the exact opposite. So Paul is so transformed by the love of God. The thing that he's least qualified to do, which is to love, number one, and to, to, and to disciple Christians, um, he becomes an expert in. That area, again, where it's like the area of the most brokenness, the most sin or the most shame or pain, that's the area that God flips and he becomes an expert in that area. I love it. God redeeming that part. So the man that was murdering Christians becomes the father of many Christians and he seeds the gospel of life everywhere he goes and he sees many new disciples born and come to the abundant life in Christ. And we are actually part of that um, line, aren't we? Again, I'll just say it again. I believe that God works his redeeming love in this way. The areas of your life where you're the most broken or lacking, God's incredible personal healing love, he delights in making that area your greatest area of victory, authority and joy. I even think that God loves to show his power by healing you and redeeming that part of your life and making you an expert in that area. So I just want to finish with the verse that I started with. Um, I actually don't think I read it at the start, so I'll finish with it. Um, Genesis 50, and this is Joseph, another great story on this, on this theme. Um, Genesis 50, Joseph says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And I'm just going to read a little bit of um, a written piece by Max Licato to finish. In God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. Joseph tied himself to the pillar of this promise and he held on for dear life. Nothing in Joseph's story glosses over the presence of evil. Quite the contrary, blood stains, tear stains are everywhere. Joseph's heart was rubbed raw against the rocks of disloyalty and miscarried justice. Yet time and time again, God redeemed the pain. The torn robe became a royal one. The pit became a palace. The broken family grew old together. The very acts intended to destroy God's servant turned out to strengthen him. You meant evil against me, Joseph told his brothers, using a Hebrew verb that traces its meaning to weave or plait. You wove evil, he was saying, but God rewove it together for good. God, the master weaver, he stretches the yarn and intertwines the colours the ragged twine with the velvet strings, the pains with the pleasures, nothing escapes his reach. 
So I'm just going to um, ask that you think about the redeeming love of God that you've seen in your life and in the people around you. Um, for example, I know some men in my life that didn't even grow up with an earthly father, but these men are beautiful fathers naturally and spiritually. So it's just through God's redeeming, healing love. I have a friend who was abused as a child and who suffered depression, and she now works with children and families and as an expert in her field. And she brings health and wholeness to families. So like her area, again, of pain and shame has become her area of expertise and, and its authority in the way that she brings the kingdom. I know that we've all got these either stories in our own life or people around us. I just think if we can recognise this is these are the ways of God, this is that characteristic of his love which redeems, it's got that justice edge to it. And I just want to invite you to go on a journey of experiencing the deep redeeming love of God. So if you can, I just want you to ask God to show you the parts of your life that he's redeeming for you right now. So the ground, he, he, I feel like he'll show you the ground that you've already taken, but also there's ground that you're going to take with him. He's going to redeem it with you. Start to notice the ways of God in your life, the ways of redeeming love and thank him for it and ask him for more. Um, there is always more and it's his pleasure, pleasure to give you more of his love. And this is how we do what Jesus did, I think, when he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. This is just a way of actually being able to see what the Father's doing and to join in with it. So in your life and in, in the life of other people. So this week, why don't you think of someone you know where you can see the redeeming love of God in a particular area of their life and tell them about it? So they might not be aware of how beautiful it looks and what you can see. So just tell them and encourage them. I see this in your life. It's really beautiful to look at. And this is the springboard of prophecy as well. So as you began to say what you see God doing in someone's life, just be listening to that joyful voice of encouragement, which is the Holy Spirit, and just bless their socks off. Um, that's all I have. So bless you guys. May you know um, just more of the redeeming love of God in your life. May you just experience him this week and just so much love to you. That's all I have. Yeah. Oh. <laughs>